The reading of the Scriptures from Romans chapter 4, reading verses 13 to 22. I invite your reverent hearing of God's Word and hearing it in faith. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please join me for another time of prayer. Again, O oh Father, we bow our heads to you in worship and praise and adoration of our great triune God. Uh, we pray to offer our thanksgiving as well. We thank you for the gift of your loving kindness to us, your mercies, which are new each day. We are thankful for the gift of your Son who came down from heaven for us and for our salvation. And we are thankful uh, for the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes to us and dwells us who comforts us, strengthens us, and guides us in the way of life and righteousness and pours into our hearts the very love of God. We're thankful for uh, the privilege of approaching you in prayer to make supplications for the needs of others. And so we pray this morning that you would remember any of our congregation who are sick, give them health and renewed strength. Uh, we pray for any who might uh, be disheartened heartened. We pray that you would encourage them. For any who may be perplexed over current circumstances, uh, perplexed about the way to move forward, we pray that you would guide them by your Spirit. For any grieving, again, comfort them. Uh, we pray that you would protect us from physical dangers, from the spread of disease, from the spread of lawlessness and violence, and protect us from the spiritual dangers that abound, and from anything that would tempt us to do that which would bring reproach upon the name of Christ, the one who loved us to the end and gave his life to redeem us. Help us as a congregation to stand firm in one spirit. 
have regard for the welfare of our brothers and sisters in the faith, to be models of genuine love to one another as we seek to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel and to not be frightened by anything, by those who oppose us. Father, we are thankful for the word of God. And as your word is firmly fixed forever in the heavens, bless your word to us this morning, for it is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, and gives us skill and wisdom for living. Uh, these things we pray in the name of the eternal word, even your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. Life is uh, filled with uh, promises. Uh, many of them are implied promises, but some of them are explicit. Um, I make my wife an implied promise uh, every time I leave home that I will return. Um, and of course, there, there are many uh, promises are certainly explicit. Uh, your employer, if you have a, an agreement with your employer, he makes explicit promises to uh, perhaps uh, uh, write you a paycheck twice or once a month, but certainly uh, I'm sure it's explicitly stated in uh, your employment agreement, and on and on it goes. Uh, but the issue of promises, as you know, is the promisor, the one making the promises. Can, can that person fulfill the promise? When I leave my home every day, uh, I make an implied promise, but I don't have a clue. Some speeding automobile may interdict me or a train or whatever the case might be, uh, failure of health. But when we when we come uh, when we come to uh, the scriptures, uh, we end all uncertainty in terms of promises because the promisor, who is God, is eternal and great and good, and he never lies. There's no shadow of turning whatsoever with him. Uh, when he promises something, uh, it is uh, sure and certain. And in our particular case, in studying uh, the life of Abraham. Uh, grace uh, promises him justification, and of course, grace grace delivers exactly that. Uh, Abraham believes, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so Paul is illustrating in our spiritual father Abraham the central truth uh, that the righteousness of Christ is the entire basis of justification, and that Abraham realized justification uh, by faith, but also uh, as important is uh, by grace. Uh, it's also important to recognize that Abraham's uh, justification was absent works. Uh, certainly Paul has been dealing with this uh, preeminent subject at the last uh 
chapters, uh, as is certainly uh, something of the entire message of the scriptures. Because if you think about it, if justification is based on our works, our works are surely uncertain. They're certainly temporal, and they cannot meet the demands of the one who promises because he is eternal and perfect and he only accepts perfection and since my works to say the least are imperfect I'm not going to go with my works before a God who is a totally holy and righteous from everlasting to everlasting and so again in verses 13 to 15 we learn that the promise to Abraham uh, was realized uh, through the righteousness of faith it's implied excluding all works. And the promise of God is the key for all of us. Uh, we uh, who are Christians live every day on the fact that God has promised us uh, that we are justified and that justification will see us throughout all eternity. Uh, the promise, as you know, is uh, from Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. Uh, it's recapitulated a number of times uh, in, in the New Testament. And in the recapitulation, we include that the promise is to us as well. It's to Abraham. It's also to us. Uh, Genesis twenty-two seventeen. God says to Abraham, I will certainly uh, bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed uh, as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and uh, your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. Well, that includes us. Uh, we're, we're the grains of sand on the seashore that uh, God is speaking to, obviously, metaphorically speaking, because it extends way beyond uh, Abraham. Uh, Abraham's going to have a son, but he certainly is not going to have sons as the stars of heaven or the sands of the seashore. Uh, so we are swept into that promise by faith. In that sense, Abraham is our forefather. But again, look at the promise. Their seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. That means God has promised to us total victory. Total victory. Uh, because of what Christ has done for us. If you think about the um, hymn, uh, that is the hymn of the Protestant Reformation, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It encompasses the theology uh, that uh, we will encompass the gates of our enemies. We will be victorious. Uh, Martin Luther wrote that uh, hymn from the theology of Psalm 46, where the psalmist tells us God is our mighty fortress, that the gate of our enemies will not prevail over us, but rather we will prevail over them. Based on what? The righteousness of faith. It's an incredible promise. Uh, so that we may worry about all the events of this world, uh, but it will not prevail over us, and we shall possess their gates. Uh, we will storm their bastion, but they cannot storm ours because our bastion is a mighty fortress. Uh, and again, through the righteousness of faith. I think Paul really intends here for us to recognize the cause, and that is the grace of God. Uh, why is that important? Because Abraham did not deserve or earn the promise in, his, in any way. 
God simply came to him in sovereign grace. You might say, why didn't he go to someone else? Well, I don't know. The sovereignty of God, he came to Abraham and he started uh, it all in motion through the righteousness of faith. Of course, we know it occurred to Adam and Eve, uh, Abel, but the particular emphasis here in terms of a biographical study is Abraham and his sons and daughters, and so that we are swept up into the righteousness of faith. And that it is accomplished by Christ, Christ being infinite and perfect uh, and solely and entirely able to come through the trial of the judgment of God without breaking, uh, that promise to come to us is, again, sure and certain because of what he accomplished. And we added nothing to it. Incredibly important to recognize that. Charles Spurgeon once said that if there is any stitch in my salvation that comes from me, it will all unravel. And thank God that it comes entirely, solely through Jesus Christ. Uh, that his work did not fail and he gives the merits of his work to us, uh, meaning that they will not fail us either. He did not fail. What he gives to us will not fail either. And so the righteousness which comes through faith is profoundly important. It's a promise of God that will not fail. And again, to contribute temporal uh, and imperfect works and human contribution, uh, not only will they fail, uh, but it nullifies the promise. And that's what Paul is teaching us here in this text. If you contribute, it nullifies the promise because it's of no avail. The moment you contribute, you are contributing that which is imperfect to that which is perfect, and that which is imperfect will always fail. Because our works cannot withstand the divine judgment. And so again, the promise is based upon the righteousness of Christ and not ours. And by apprehending it by faith, uh, the spoils of the victory the inheritance is one for us, the promise of God. Uh, there's something of a, of a vague reminder of this and uh, a promise that you, I suspect many of you have made. Um, you have uh, physical property and maybe some accounts and uh, you go to an attorney. Uh, I hope you go to an attorney uh, and you ask the attorney to construct a trust or a will. And in that, you, um, uh, you, you name your beneficiaries. Well, we are named beneficiaries of Jesus Christ. Very interesting if you, you think about some of the great uh, wealth in America, say great families like the Ford family, um, think of all the beneficiaries that have uh, uh, been made wealthy. Names unknown to the first Ford who starts the great company. Benefactors that he didn't have a clue. Heirs solely based upon 
uh, his business brilliance of generations ago. Well, if you take that analogy and apply it to us, it's the promise of God. Justification in his righteousness by faith. Of course, um, my analogy fails because on the cross, Christ knew our names. He carried them to the cross. In his, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, he knew every one of us who have named his name for salvation, proclaiming the righteousness of his work for us. Our Savior canceled the certificate of debts that existed against us because of our breaking of the law. Cancel them. And because he's an eternal God and our names are written in the covenant of redemption, nothing can change about what he has affected. Great promise of God. And the wealth that accrues to us is way beyond the wealth of, of a Rockefeller or a Ford. I mean, that's, I mean, that's just chump change. I mean, I remind you, as I do on occasion, of the words of the Apostle Paul, I, I has not seen or ear heard the totality of the wealth that comes to us through Jesus Christ. Uh, but in that God has promised to us to possess the gates of our enemies, uh, it will be so, because the promise is sure and certain. Uh, the inheritance won for us, world without end. Uh, and it's also important to recognize that in this great covenant of redemption, there were lots of terms, none that we could fulfill. Uh, so he met all the terms for us. So that when we exercise faith in him, apprehending his righteousness, we are acknowledging that we couldn't meet the terms, but he met them for us. Lots of promises include terms. Your employer promises to pay you, let's say, uh, every two weeks, based on you meeting certain terms. Uh, mostly, usually, generally, you show up on time, whatever that time is. Mostly, generally, usually, that you work throughout the day and you don't uh, take four hours off for a siesta, whatever the silliness might be. But you understand the point. No terms, because he met them all. That's so incredible. I love the reality of the Protestant Reformation. The great question of Martin Luther, have I done enough? No, you haven't, Martin, but he did enough. In fact, he did it all for you. It's a great promise of the righteousness of faith. In Galatians 3.29, and if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Your name is in the covenant of redemption. He carried your name to the cross before you were even born. The grace of God, the promise of redemption. But I want to turn now in verses 16 uh, to the end of the chapter uh, from uh, the promise of faith to the grace that realizes it. Uh, because the promise is only as good as the one affecting it. And behind the one affecting it is the majesty of the grace of God. And by grace, I mean unmerited. We, we, we deserve none of it. Um, 
I suspect some of the great benefactors of American wealth, like the Rockefellers, if he knew what some of his heirs were going to do with his money, he would have written, he would have scratched their names out. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced that some of the great universities of the United States of America, founded by men like Cornelius Vanderbilt, would have never started a university had he known what eventually would be taught in the halls of the academy. But again, uh, grace is going to affect uh, the realization of the covenant, realized by the grace of God. Uh, so uh, grace, uh, grace makes it uh, certain, uh, Paul says, uh, verse 16, for this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not according to the law, but those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Uh, again, there is no certainty in all of life other than the grace of God, truly. Uh, it's the beauty of faith in Christ. The promise stands. And I know, I know all of us make promises, sometimes with the best of intentions. As a parent, I, I, I promise my children lots of things. Sometimes I deliver, sometimes I simply can't. At some point, I may have had the ability to deliver, and then I lose that ability. The promises I make are totally contingent on my ability. Not so with God. Because uh, there's no contingency with God. I, I'm still uh, angry over my favorite restaurant uh, that closed its doors. Things change, don't they? Uh, just because a restaurant <laughs> opens, there's no guarantee it's going to stay in business. Or it may change its business model. That's what happened to my restaurant. I have to get over my anger, though, don't I, and find another. Uh, not so with the grace of God. Totally certain. Everything's sure. Never to close. The gates of heaven will never, never close upon us. Um, we will enter them with joy, thanksgiving. Businesses close, don't they? Uh, one of my favorite magazines, business magazines, is Forbes. Um, Every year they have an edition called the Forbes 400 uh, based upon a very wealthy uh, uh, woman who uh, built a, uh, whose husband's money built a large mansion in, I believe it's New York City, and her ballroom could hold 400 guests, and hence Forbes 400. Uh, think of how fortunate he had to be to be numbered among the 400. Well, heck with that. Think of how fortunate you must be to be numbered among the elect of God whose ballroom holds uh, a number as the sands of the seashore because of his grace and power and the righteousness of faith that he gives uh, to all who believe in him. Uh, one thing I learned about reading Forbes 400, the list is always changing. There's no certainty that some man that amasses a great fortune that he'll keep it. 
Things change. Generations come and go. It's always changing. Men are always dropping off, and women are always dropping off that list, and new ones introduced. Those who are, whose names are in the covenant of redemption, purchased by Christ, saved by the righteousness of faith, their names never drop off of God's will and testimony. Never erased, never scratched off. Oh, to be numbered on that list. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, His righteousness is charged to your account. Uh, and so He is He is stability that defines what is solid and certain, what is perpetual. Uh, one of my great uh, texts that I, I love to be reminded of that's an implied promise uh, is comes to Hebrews, uh, to us, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 90. The context is very revealing because certain members of the church are thinking about dropping out. And so the author is trying desperately to turn them back to Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says about Jesus Christ in verse 19 of the sixth chapter. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters the veil. It's the one anchor of all eternity that holds for all time, that never gives in, will never break loose. I thought of it recently when I was reading the account of uh, some uh, ship that uh, drags an anchor, it catches an oil pipeline, and there's this big oil spill, and everyone's all in a tither over this big oil spill because some ship's anchor uh, snags his pipeline. Uh, our anchor in Christ uh, will never give, sure and certain, promise of God. It will hold all of us and all of the storms of your life. And I know many of you face some tough ones. Uh, this anchor will, will always hold you. And so you should always be reminded of the beauty of that majesty in all the storms of life. Uh, and Paul affirms in verse 17 uh, this promise coming to us through him uh, by quoting in verse 17, uh, Genesis uh, 17.5, that God would make him a father of many nations. Now think of the context. We looked at the context uh, last Sunday. Abraham is 99. Um, Abraham had to have thought, this is impossible. How can I father a son? I've long since lost the ability. In fact, we know he thought this way. Genesis 17, 17. God reaffirms the promise to him. And Abraham, the text reads, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Impossible. Doesn't work that way. I'm sure he said, he used different words, like my time has come and gone. But notice, notice the promisor. Or notice how Paul describes God in verse 17. Who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. 
So just because Abraham has long since passed the age of being able to sire a child, a son, an heir, that doesn't stop God. God's not beholden to the laws of biology and the failures of men and women because he can give life to the dead and call into being that which does not exist. Theology here is the creative power and the ability of God. By the way, that occurred in your salvation because Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in sin. How did you come to faith? He gave you life and you believed. He called into being that which did not exist, your very faith. He gave it to you as a gift, and you believed. And through that comes the righteousness of faith. So from beginning to end, your salvation is caused by the grace of God. It's, of course, the realization that God is the creator. It comes to us the scriptures in the first pages, Genesis 1, that we read continually, God spoke and it was so. God didn't have to go to Lowe's or Home Depot. He didn't have to go to Ace Hardware and put an order in. All he had to do was speak and it happened. It was so. He simply creates by divine fiat. I've always been in my personal life. This is my personal life. Doesn't mean you have to follow my example, but I, I, I do not like using the word create when it comes to men because only God creates. Now, I understand authors create, but uh, really they're using the gifts that God gave to them. God alone creates, and certainly God alone creates life. That's how you came to faith. He came and... Uh, spoke and created. Your response was you believed in Christ and the righteousness of faith. Uh, theology is, uh, that's it's essential to the life of the church, that men are totally depraved. Dead men can't believe. But thank God we can still realize the promise because God can create life when death exists. So picked up, as you know, very prominently in the book of Isaiah uh, because uh, the nation is uh, in the Babylonian captivity. They've been totally uh, defeated, humiliated, led off, led off into captivity. And uh, Babylon at that time was the most powerful nation in the world, and they're captives. How can they be set free? And here comes the prophet Isaiah saying, you're going to be set free. You're going to return to the land. And I'm sure they were saying exactly the same thing Abraham was saying. They were falling on their faces saying, what a joke, a bad one at our expense. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 41, verse 4, who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth generations from the beginning, I the Lord am the first, and I am the last, I am he. If you're first and last, the beginning and the end, you can will things into existence that have not existed. And God willed that Israel would be returned to the land. And guess what they returned? Isaiah 48, 13. Surely my hand founded the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call, they stand together. 
God uh, raised up Cyrus. He defeated the Babylonians and let the people go free. How did that happen? God, the grace of God. So the theology uh, of God as creator is everywhere in scripture to remind us of the genesis of our faith. Uh, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 121, verse 2. Uh, my help comes from the Lord God. Who is he? Creator of the heavens and the earth. I append my safety for each and every day with that psalm and a prayer to God. A very beautiful realization of this is found in uh, Psalm uh, 146. Um, has a very beautiful phrase in it. Psalm 146, verse 6, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. You know what the last part of the text reads? We never recite it for whatever reason, who keeps faith forever. Only God can promise forever. He keeps faith to his people forever. Not one of them is ever lost. He is faithful to them forever. Regardless of the vicissitudes of life, the change in governments, the ugliness and the tragedies of the world in which we live, he keeps faith to his sons and daughters forever because he's the creator of heaven and earth and no one can stop him from keeping faith forever. Uh, another, another great text, uh, the reminder of this again, uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 40 in verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who acts might, he increases in power. For all of our life, as finite as we are, we can trust God who keeps faith forever for his people. Uh, by the way, this is the creation of the church. Uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1 really speaks ultimately, uh, breaks ultimately in the New Testament upon Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, verse 16. Speaking of Christ, Paul says, For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is, the, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. By the way, next time your life spins out of control, it may be to you, but not to God. He holds literally every event together for his glory. That's one reason we can walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 18, he is also head of the body of the church. He is beginning the firstborn from the dead so that he himself might have first place in everything. That's our Savior who keeps faith forever for his people. Now the word calling, Paul uses the word who calls into being that which does not exist. Uh, References to theology, the effectual call of God which brought us to him. Uh, I, 
I can call people to come to Christ from the pulpit. More often than not, nothing happens. Be that as it may, when God calls someone to faith in Christ, they come willingly because of his power. It's the power of God. He calls and we come and he justifies us. No merit, no worth or reason whatsoever, just his grace alone. The promise of God, the power of his grace, creating life from nothing. And again, by application, he, he does it forever. Uh, Abraham, when he believed in Genesis chapter 15, he, he became heir of the righteousness of faith forever. Nothing could ever change it. I'm often bemused at so many Protestant denominations that believe that you can lose your faith as if what Christ did upon the cross can be nullified. As if God has to get an eraser out and say, oops, I made a mistake. Better erase their name from the covenant of redemption. God makes no mistakes. When he does, he does permanence. Thank God. It's the realization of so many texts in Scripture. I'm going to read a couple from the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 14. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and there is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things long past. For I am God as there, there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done. Saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Uh, by the way, in terms of application, we need to recover that theology in the life of the church because we are vacuous without it. Point of uh, the promise is that Abraham will be the father of many nations is because the sovereign power and the grace of God will make it so, and that what he makes cannot be unraveled. Paul returns in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, to the assurance of Scripture by quoting again uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. He believed God was reckoned to him as righteousness. Uh, and he illustrates um, the genuineness of Abraham's faith in verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. That's faith. He had faith. Now, again, I want to remind you of something that's so true of all of us. Uh, there were lots of times that Abraham failed. Thank God, God didn't fail. You think about it. God promises him this, and Abraham, like all of us, sat around one day and says, you know, I've passed the age. Maybe, maybe God wants me to make a lot my error. Boy, was that a mistake. 
But Abraham was not rejected, was he? Thank God for his grace. And then Abraham, and then Abraham's wife sits around thinking, you know, there, there is no way I'm going to bear a child at my age. Uh, Abraham, take Hagar. Boy, was that a mistake. But Abraham was still a son of God. The righteousness of faith, the grace of God. By sight, by observation, his last physical. I suspect Abraham heard many jokes from his under-shepherds of his many flocks, snickering. Doesn't affect God. God in his power, God in his grace. Abraham had a son. Uh, by the way, it's a great reminder here, if your faith grows weary like Abraham and you begin to cast about and say, well, maybe God made a mistake. I think I'll try this. Um, great example from Scripture, Psalm 73. There's a man who's about to give up his faith, and then we read uh, verse 17, "Till I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived uh, the end of the wicked. It corrects his entire theology. He went to church and heard a sermon. It corrected him. Uh, the importance of hearing over and over again the truth of the Scripture. And then what does he say? Verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee I desire nothing upon the earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Because of what he learned in church. The righteousness of faith does not fail. God makes no mistakes. And by numerous means, Abraham was strengthened in the faith. As to the promise of God, he gave God the glory because he knew he had nothing at all from a human perspective to give. That's the importance of rejecting human works and the doctrine of justification. Our works unravel. The work of Christ does not. And so in verse 21, we read that being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Notice the promisor, what God had promised, he was able to perform. Analog in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5.24, Faithful is he who calls you, he will bring it to pass. Beautiful picture, the outworking of Abraham's faith and the progress of time. His faith uh, in, the, in the knowledge of God increased. Uh, he had a growing conviction it was true. And he realized it, uh, uh, that he could rely upon it to the end. Uh, in fact, uh, we see that most beautifully, do we not? Uh, when God comes to Abraham and says, I want the life of your son, your firstborn son. Abraham is prepared to give the life of his firstborn son to God. Beautiful picture that Abraham's faith grew over time, as our faith should grow over time. Uh, the beauty of the majesty of uh, the promises of God um, that, uh, that if it was necessary for God to take a dead son, he could raise him from the dead. It's the importance of recognizing uh, the promises of God. Um, 
Abraham tells his son, does he not? God will provide a lamb. And then God interdicts him, provides the lamb. Isaac lives. Because the promise of God is inviolable throughout the centuries. By the way, his promise is to you. Uh, I know there are many events of life that trouble us, discourage us, but uh, remember, God is able. Uh, and if he wills to correct your circumstances, he can. Will he? I don't know. But whatever happens, he is behind it all in the grace of God, securing his sons and daughters for all eternity. Uh, so God delivers on his promises. He promises and he delivers. Uh, let's turn to uh, Hebrews 11. Read about Abraham, verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac, for your seed shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. God is able. Thank God. Everywhere in Scripture, Romans 16, 25, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, his last epistle, chapter 2, verse 12, I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that very day. The righteousness of faith. Paul believed it. Christ guarded it. He took it to heaven. conclusion of uh, this matter that it's all of grace and the God who gives life to the dead, verse 22. Therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's our hope of everlasting life. We couldn't earn it. Nothing was due us. We had nothing to merit God's favor. He gave it as a gift. And in the power of the gift of the grace of God, he made it all happen. We owe it all to him, the righteousness of faith. You get discouraged, you get troubled, just remember. It's a gift that cannot be lost, will never be taken away. He secured it forever. Thank God he did. So the promise of God is accomplished in Jesus. What did he deliver? The righteousness of faith. Grace promised it. Grace delivered it on the cross. And it is certain. Therefore, we can rely on it. It did not fail Abraham. It will not fail us.